Thanks for joining us uh, for a Meredith Monday. Chris, how's it going? It's going well, Mike. How are you? All right, I'm I'm going well. I'm just uh you know, just a hearing of your strains and struggles with regard to theonomists and uh and I'm keen to hear all about it. <laughs> well, before we dive right in, Mike, um, right. I didn't get this opportunity last time we talked, so I'd like to know what you're smoking. Oh, thank you. That's very thoughtful of you. Um, <laughs> well, at the moment, I am still smoking. Oh, you actually don't want to know. This is a bad time to ask me. Um, okay. But it's that uh, Irish Dew. <laughs> okay. I got okay. a whole stock of Like, I bought, like, I think about five <laughs> packets of them because they were on special at Smoking Pipes. And... Um, Yes, I bought them sort of one packet at a time, put the, put them through the thing so they don't get caught in New Zealand customs. And, uh, yeah, I find it just does the job, strangely enough, but it's a bit weak. Um, mm. You know, so, and I have actually ordered a few more tins, but they're, they usually take about three weeks or so to get you. Uh, wow. What have I ordered, though? Man, I ordered something really cool. Um, you would like this, and I think you would know it. I'm actually going to quickly get onto Smoking Pipes and see if I can... I forgot what it was called. Um but uh, it you know it keeps it in your cart there, and um, it'll tell me what it is. Um, something to do with a pirate, something or other. Um, pirate cake? Uh, was it? Uh, doesn't sound right. Uh, one second. Pirates of Penzance? Oh, maybe. Um, so close. Okay, here we go. Um, <laughs> what is it? Oh, you know what else is happening that, that's making me very very happy right now. What's that? I am. Uh, Getting fiber internet cable stuff. Oh. It's uh, I got the notice in the mail, and uh, so I, our um, our problems are over, Chris. This is it. <laughs> you know, this is that's going to be real time conversation. Okay, it's called Ye Old Sign. Oh D- yeah, Dunhill, You're, Dark Virginia. I've heard I've heard really good things about that. Have you really? Wow, mm-hmm. good. Okay, yeah, because I, I read a few rave reviews, and I thought, hmm, that just looks good. And it's got the whole Puritan thing, and I was in a, a, <laughs> a very Puritan mood. <laughs> so I thought, you know what, I'm going to go for that one. Uh, so that's coming. And uh, what else have I got going here? Oh, Black Sea. So you've, you, Captain Black's always been a favorite of mine, but I've been off okay. of it for a while. And uh, then I ordered some Stanwell Vanilla as well. Mm. Yeah, so okay. those three are coming. Uh, what are you smoking right now? I have a bit of Presbyterian mixture in my plate. Oh, rats. I'm so sorry I asked. <laughs> now you uh, look what you've gone and done. All this covetousness <laughs> in me. <laughs> look, and I'm just not satisfied with my Irish stew anymore. Oh, man. Okay, good. Well, uh, are you smoking that right now, are you? I am. Oh, nice. <laughs> now, man, you know what? Just let's switch switch topics. Let's talk about theonomy. <laughs> okay, let's you do make, that. You're making me jealous. I'm sorry. <laughs> Looking at my stupid Irish dude. I quit. <laughs> All right, good. No. Uh, if you, you got him so, smoking, Mike. Yeah, totally. No, no, for sure. I mean, that, oh, dude, no, nothing beats it. I was actually just, um, I was going to actually send you a screenshot. Uh, it's rated number one on um, Smoking Pipes, Presbyterian. Oh, wow. Yeah. Nice. So, obviously, you know, we're not going crazy here. That's, uh, <laughs> it's, no. every, other people feel the same way. Okay. <laughs> Good. So talking about Presbyterians and stuff, we got the crazy brand of Presbyterian, the the theonomists. Mm. What's going on with him? Well, I guess for listeners who don't know what we mean when we say theonomy, we're talking about a a sect that believes that the 
uh, all civil governments of all times and all places ought to be enforcing the Mosaic Covenant in, or I should say the Mosaic Law, in exhaustive detail. Mm-hmm. So that exhaustive detail would even include the uh, the death penalty for violating certain of those laws. And uh, a particular theonomist that I talked to recently was like, yeah, but you know, we don't really talk about the the death penalty all that much. We're usually talking about how much we love just God's law and obeying him and, you know, things like that. But, uh, I'll tell you what, um, it it was, it was an exercise in trading, um, the glory of the new creation for the here and now, because his constant refrain was, but we got to live in this world now. Right. Yeah. The gospel is fine and all, but we got to live in this world now. Yeah. And, um, so yeah, uh, yeah, I'm a little uh, unhappy about that. Yeah, totally. So you didn't get anywhere in the conversation. It it, it went around and around and around the same territory, and um, his his constant refrain was that um, it's just not loving not to put all these things in place in society and by all these things. I mean, he's basically taking a Gary North approach with, um, capitalism and, um, Oh, quasi libertarianism. Right. Uh, you know, and it pains me to say these things because on a, on a purely common grace level, I love those things, but I'm not, I'm not going to make those articles of (laughs) our creed. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, would you be? Would you agree with me in saying that you know um, an amillennialism that say Klein or Hookemer or Horton kind of spells out is is really a pessimistic amillennialism, <laughs> right? Would you Would you agree with me in that? Well, I know that theonomists love to use that word, but Klein refused to use those categories. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Wow. So what 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 did he? Uh, use any other categories did he want to change that with something well he would he would say that um suffering is a major biblical theme and that it it is a um, major characteristic of the christian life yeah Um, but that doesn't mean that it's pessimistic because yeah that's the very means that god uses um to achieve his victory yeah yeah totally yeah huge yeah so i mean well Okay, just uh, again, filling anyone that's listening in on this, uh, getting them up to speed. So typically, and uh, jump in where you think I'm going off, uh, off uh, kilter here, Chris. But um, so basically, you get an optimistic kind of eschatology, which uh, is typically advocated by um, a kind of reform theology that usually goes hand in hand with a reconstructionist theonomy, monocovenantal type thing that uh, basically... Um, has in mind the idea that for for the church to move forward, uh, we need to be looking at those those prophecies that talk about the gates of hell not being able to uh, come mm. against the mission of the church, and off we go. And uh, the idea is we get into the public marketplace of ideas and not only simply interact and engage, but with a presuppositional sort of approach, uh, we eventually uh, we, we move into the spheres of society, uh, much as uh, Kuiper would have advocated. We get in there, we transform, we redeem. A nation is considered redeemed, not so much when everyone believes in Jesus, but when the laws of 
uh, of God are established in that land, uh, and you go to jail if you're being uh, a heretic and that sort of thing, and um, and you basically that then you know Christ is ruling with an iron rod essentially through those governmental systems, and as that then moves uh, all over uh, the, the earth, and uh, the, the church triumphs, uh, you basically are looking at a. Uh, a time where the world is largely Christian, there is no need to accommodate to other religions. There's no uh, need for you know f- freedom uh, uh, of religion, and uh, and there's just this. Uh, there might well still be a, a heckler here or there, but you just put them in jail, and everyone's basically you know uh, shops are closed on Sundays. Um, you know everyone's going to church. Uh, it doesn't really matter too much if there's a vibrant faith, so to speak. It's more just that. Christ is the church is one essentially, and um, and uh, the the world view of the world is basically Christian, um, sort of sort of how it was going for a while with the Reformation and, and that sort of thing, and um, and then Jesus comes, and then uh, that's the end, you know. So with that whole triumphant phase of the church is the millennium, so to speak, of, of peace and uh, the golden age, and then Jesus comes, and that was largely the Puritan view. Um, as I understand it, um, it very much this optimistic idea, and that's what they mean by optimism. Um, and and again, the Puritan experiment, you know, very much that thing exactly. Um, certainly, South Africa, where I come from, the Dutch uh, Kuyperian influence. Um, that's exactly what we try to do. You know, racism was essentially trying to kick out the Amalekites. And um, and so apartheid set in, and you just try and get into. I mean, I, I remember vividly the whole idea was. You know, just people would scoff at a personal faith idea. It was more just, uh, uh, you know, is is the nation a Christian nation? Is it the new? Is is it Israel? You know, essentially wow. was the idea, and um, and so yeah, th- those sorts of ideas are all sort of tied together in a in a in a overarching theological way, and um, they would 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 say that they're being optimistic in the sense that they're seeing the. The, the future looking bright for the church and the triumph of the church and the triumph of the gospel, essentially, in that way. And they accuse um, those who would think otherwise as, a, you know, maybe, the, and this would be my view, that, um, you know, we we are heading toward the days of Noah, essentially, where the, the, the faithful get whittled down to but a single family, as it were. Um, and uh, whether it's by, by apostasy or persecution, you end up, you know, the Son of Man returns, and will he even find faith is the idea. And it's going to be mm. brutal, and, you know, the world's going to be carrying on. But much as we see those Antichrist crisis points, as Klein points out, uh, we're going to see that again, and that's going to be the end. And um, and it's going, to be, it's going to be difficult. It's not easy. It's not the seven-year tribulation of the dispensationals, but it's, uh, it's, it's just a ongoing heavy persecution that just gets worse and worse and worse. Um, but as you say, you know, again, so it's pessimistic, fair enough, in the sense that we're not we're not seeing a uh, a kind of a political church. Um, we're seeing more of a, a very difficult time for the for for believers. Um, but we are also, as you've just said, really well there. I mean, like, well, as you say, Klein says as well that you know we see suffering as part of the triumph of the Christian life. Um, you know, I mean, this is the cross for for crying out loud. Uh, not to mention the ability to display the power of the gospel, and that we're loving those who persecute us. We, you know, I mean, that's that's where the glory of the gospel shines, and uh, and that's how people come to Christ. Uh, and so, anyways, all this to say that, um, yeah, the 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 categories 
optimistic and pessimistic, or well, pessimistic kind of derogatory. But I mentioned that, you know, and do I sound on track with that before I move on? Yeah, absolutely. The terms seem to presuppose or just take for granted that the kind of power that the world wields is the standard for what we should be talking about. Right, in terms of optimism and pessimism, yeah. Totally. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> no, it's flawed. Which, it's flawed. Which is why I'm with Klein on, yeah, let's just... Let's just ditch those. <laughs> I mean, I see uh, amillennialism as optimistic in the sense that Jesus wins. <laughs> right. He's the, he's the Lord of, right. of history, and he's going to accomplish his purpose. Yeah, in the sense that the flood, the, the ark is built, mm-hmm. right? And the flood, it, it makes it through the flood, right? Is and the that, people in the ark are the only people who survive. Yeah. So if that's not optimistic, I don't know what is. <laughs> oh, man, that, that is so true. That is so true. And and that's the thing. I mean, you're, you're, you're saved. <laughs> For, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, what, what on earth? Yeah. And it, coming back to your point, you know, to miss that is honestly to trade the glory to come for the year and now, right? Because we're, we're seeing a greater optimism right now um, in what we can have on this side of the flood, so to speak. Um, and that's it's not kind good. Of, kind yeah. of a quasi-reform, well, I say that, and yet it really, I mean, it really does have very, very Puritan roots. So, mm. um I guess a, a reformed version of uh, Joel Osteen's "Your Your Best Life Now." Well, that is a interesting point. I know that is isn't that ironic? Um, mm-hmm. And but you know, I've often thought about that in the sense that the prosperity gospel, you know, when it makes its um, appeal to the Old Testament, you know, for any kind of biblical um, uh, credence, it, it it basically it appeals to the um, you know the the covenant of works arrangement with Israel yep. in terms of the land, which was true. You know, there was a, if you do this, you'll be blessed, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and they, they look at that and they go, okay, well, you know, so let's, let's do that, you know, and then we will be blessed. Look, there's the, the promise. Why are you guys being so, so weird about it? And, um, and, and as we've, we've said a million times over, I mean, you know, the problem there is that they're missing the echo of Eden there. They're seeing it as a, a, a they're, they're confusing a covenant of works, covenant of grace idea. But isn't that interesting? But, you know, you'd almost expect that to happen with a prosperity gospel and that they just don't care about theology anyway. But isn't it interesting, like with a very acutely theologically aware movement like Reformed Reconstructionism, they end up in exactly the same place as you just said, as a prosperity gospel preacher, um, yes. simply by consciously adopting that same theology. It's just mind-blowing to me. You know, I mean, that the, the, they would be standing side by side with the, the Joel Osteen, you know? Um, it's madness. By, by bringing works in, and it may not even be through the back door with the theonomists. They, they might be bringing it in the front door. Well, and this is um, federal vision, isn't it? I mean, this is uh, the mm-hmm. way it crosses over into federal vision. It's, um, you know, it's the, it's the new perspective thing. It all morphs at that point. It just, yep. yeah. It is interesting. I actually, um, uh, I haven't looked a lot into I mean, I kind of started off with it, and then I go, well, this is so bad. I just kind of bailed with the whole Doug Wilson <laughs> kind of federal vision thing. But um, it is interesting the way they all are. They didn't, from my perception of things, they didn't um, start off so intermeshed. Um, they started out as very clear, distinct movements. Like you had the new perspective thing, the Anglican kind of deal, uh, you know, coming from that side with its um, uh, anti-right scholarship kind of thing. And then um, and then on the other side, almost from a different agenda completely, you had the, the Federal Vision guys. Um, and 
and uh, the Reconstructionists almost not even really together with them. And now they're all appealing. Well, definitely the Federal Vision guys are appealing to you know, N.T. Wright, they're just mining his stuff for ways to uh, legitimatize their own position. And uh, it just seems kind of completely blended now with anything Reconstructionist. Quite interesting, I think, the way they've all teamed together. I don't know if you've noticed the same thing. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And, and I think it, it ties in with just the ethos of theonomy, which is they're, they're feeling around, looking around for power as the world measures power. Mm. And I, I don't mean to be offensive with this, but also what's sexy. Right. 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 And um, N.T. Wright is yeah. at least that, that last one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> He's in all a very, the rage. In a very theological sense, right? He's not, yes, I've, yes, yes. I've seen the guy. He's not sexy. <laughs> 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 but, but you know Touché. to academics he's sexy to academics yeah <laughs> yeah uh classic yeah totally for sure so yeah they want to pick up on that that kind of hip and happening thing right now um in academia it is oh man it's crazy i mean all they need now is um um who's the guy that you wrote the thing against norman shepherd <laughs> mm. They just need Norman Shepard stuff in there, and you know, I mean, and then you have just one conglomeration of um, this crazy perverted reform theology. I mean, why why do you think this happens in reform theology? Like, what is the what is the the thing? What what do you think makes creates such a movement uh, toward that kind of what are we talking like? I, well, the year and now, I suppose, appeal to to um, getting all set up like Israel was set up. I mean, do you think it's driven theologically at the core, or what do you think it is? Mm. I've, I've wrestled with that, too, and I don't know that I have a really good answer, if I'm understanding your question correctly. Yeah, yeah. Um, it just seems like the the theology of the civil magistrate was something that just wasn't... Um, it wasn't looked at as critically, at least by the reformed, as all the other doctrines. Mm, mm. Um, right. You know, they were going to go back and and really go through um, everything that touches the gospel immediately with a fine tooth comb, <clears throat> and I'm mm. glad they did. Mm. But uh, the civil magistrate just kind of got um, left behind a little bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I shouldn't say left behind. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, this is it's it's very interesting to me um, because the, of the whole um, history of the of the Reformed Baptist thing. Um, you know, I suppose just just having that slot has, I think I think it's fair to say if the one thing Baptists have kind of brought to the table, and, and maybe not even Reformed Baptists necessarily, but um, Baptist theology in general is is this whole church separa- uh, church state separation thing and mm-hmm. um, and have insisted on it in various ways and from various angles um, but you know what if I just think of the here's a real heck rough kind of deal uh, a quick little survey of of, of the Puritan slash Reformed Baptist uh, history um, you know t- they they you know the the Reformation comes from the continent gets into England um, you got the Anglican thing. You got the Puritans. Um, some of the Puritans just want to stay, um, are willing to work with the Anglican Church. Others, the Hasty Puritans, I think they called them. Uh, <laughs> they they were just keen to get out, and hence the um, the uh, 
the independent congregations were born or the Congregationalists, and um, most of them obviously um, were Pedobaptist and um, started to, you know, then, then what happens is um, more or less, uh, you know, they, they are sort of um, ostracized or persecuted at some level and sometimes severely. But, you know, basically the issue was by pulling out of the established church in that way, they're pulling out of this, this fiber uh, in the in society's structure that had been set up over the last sort of thousand years, you know, leading to the Reformation, it was still there in, in the Anglican Church at that point. And and you know, when their children were born, they um they you know the question, the obvious question for them, I think, would be like, <clears throat> now what? How do we get our papers for our kids? Kind of thing. Mm. Um, you know, we're not in the established church, and it, it's almost like we take this for granted now. But I mean, that would just be the way that you got your passport, so to speak, or your your, your birth right. certificate. You go, you get baptized by the local Anglican minister, and you know, and, and that would be the thing. And if that didn't happen, so they weren't appro- they weren't objecting to infant baptism, but they were objecting to baptism by the established church, you know, uh, because of their reformed Puritan convictions, mm-hmm. and uh, and that then, you know, more or less, there were other factors involved. But it was just one of the more interesting things for me to see how. Um, that then evolved into okay. Well, do we actually need to take our kids anyway? You know, let's relook at that, and um, and let's uh, you know. And then obviously you had a breakaway, and the Puritans uh, sort of moved into a few different realms uh, in that regard. But the Reformed Baptists obviously moved to um, uh, kind of well tie those two themes together. There were you know the one being the church and state thing, and then the baptism thing. And come up with a, a confession that was like the Westminster, except uh, consistent on those two points. Um, and so, well, consistently different, should I say, on those two points. <laughs> and um, and so, well, like now, for example, with the whole uh, different Westminster in play, where you don't have the the monarch and the and the whole church and state union as the old Westminster um, said. Uh, you know, it probably is a little bit inconsistent, right? Because, well, at least, um, it, it, you know, in the way that they framed it, because they were seeing it all together. But I was, um, I'm very, very, just recently acutely aware of this as well. I was telling you before, uh, looking at Gary North and um, James Jordan's um, book, Critiquing the Baptists um, in, in the States. A lot of the critique good, just, you know, you get some pretty weird Baptists out there. Uh, but but a lot of it just critiquing much of the Reformed Church um, and, and it's interesting that they are it just coming back to this federal vision slash new perspective thing. It seems like the whole thrust is to try and make a cohesive, uh, uh, consistent uh, theology, you know. So mm-hmm. one of the things that came out was like pay to communion. Um, why are we withholding communion from children if they're in the covenant? You know, so it's like where there's been a bit of a tension there in, in Presbyterian theology, they're, they're just going right ahead. You know, they're wanting to smooth that out. Uh, again, with the church and state tension, <clears throat> they're like, no, no, we should be con- reconstructionists. So let's let's go ahead and smooth that out. Um, with the, um, yeah, just all these little things. I, I think even uh, if, if, if there is um, a question of whether... Um, the, the not ha- not being um, a uh, if the if the new covenant is different to the mosaic covenant 
and therefore doesn't require us to do what the Mosaic Covenant requires, required them to do, uh, their tendency is to smooth that out and go, well, then we're under a new version of the Mosaic Covenant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it seems like that's the, the drive. So for me, I'm, you know, it's, it's interesting. I'm seeing baptism in the mix there, you know, big time. I was just wanting to get your thoughts on that. Like, where, how do you view all of that? Like, how do you see, do you see that thread? Or, or do you feel like um, you see it, but there's some other angle that you're also seeing? Because obviously you, you hold to Peter baptism and, you know, you've been worked on by your supervisor. So you would have, <laughs> you, you would have had the whole Baptist Bible bump, you know. And um, so what, what's, um, what, what are some of your thoughts on that? Oh, gosh, there's a lot there. I, yeah. I guess maybe with some broad general strokes, um, I'll lay out what I think. And then if you want to dig deeper, we can do that. But yeah. for example, I don't think it's accidental at all mm-hmm. that uh, Greg Bonson was a student of um, Norman Shepard's. Uh-huh. I didn't know that. So, wow. Yeah. <laughs> no so care. Shepard taught at Westminster, Philadelphia. Bonson was a student there and uh, was definitely drinking deeply from that yeah. mono-covenantal well. Yes. Um, and that and and so it's also not surprising to me that Shepard got invited to speak at um, some of these federal vision um, conferences, right? Um, because it's it's the same theology, although Shepard didn't seem to be all that interested in the um, social reconstruction, you know, right. the transformation, right. that kind of thing. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But in terms of if we do X, God will bless us in terms of Y. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, built into Shepherd's theology, and I think they really latched onto that in the theonomic world. Yeah. Do you think that was because then it it meant that we must be we must model things? If Shepherd's theology is true, we must model things um, the way that Israel modeled them or, or did them. Well, I think. Shepherd gave them complete freedom to say we're simply in a newer version of it. Yeah, time per- yeah, a newer yeah. time period of the Mosaic Covenant. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. Totally. Now that that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. Good. Um, yeah. Because I mean, sorry. Just where I was going with that was you know from you know I try I do try and get out of my Baptist bubble on this because it feels like it's too easy sometimes. Like the whole. Um, <clears throat> I mean, you look at any of the Baptist Puritan rhetoric. Um, I mean, it's just, you know, uh, infant baptism is the pillar of popery that, that sort of survived mm-hmm. the Reformation and that sort of thing, you know. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and you know, in some sense, the whole, um, we're talking about Reconstructionism, but the whole Roman Catholic Church, you know, is a version of it too, isn't it? I mean, you got the priests, the carryover, you got the, you know, the, the political deal happening, the Constantinianism in that sense. Um, and so, uh, you know, you could... It's almost like it only works uh, in the Baptist perspective to leave that whole that last bit there. Uh, it seems like it's it's quite a drive to get the whole system to work around it. But it's also you know it, what you're saying here is like actually there might be a different drive um, to go in that direction because it's also true that there are a lot of Presbyterians that just don't seem in any way inclined or, or Pentecostals in general that seem in any way inclined to move in any sort of the- theonomic direction at all. Right. Um, so I'm just trying to get at the heart of, of what it is that, 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 that moves certain people. I mean, because it, it was happening before Shepard. I mean, I, was, yeah. I read things in, in my PhD research that sure sounded 
pretty close to Shepard, which bothered me. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, yeah. there's stuff in the 17th century that sounds like him or at least close enough to make, make your skin crawl. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think there's something really unique going on in England um, and every area that the, um, the, the English monarch claimed to have, you know, authority over yeah. that, that created this just intense struggle. Like everyone wanted to get a hold of those reins and uh, change the whole thing. Mm. Um, mm. But you know, what's interesting to me is that the Lutherans also believe in infant baptism. That's true. And, and yet you don't find yeah. the English Baptists attacking. That's um, so true. That's so true. Yeah. 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 And that's, that's it really, isn't it? I mean, right there. Yeah. The Lutherans have no propensity towards that. I think a lot of it with the Reformation for me, you see, you mentioned you, you sort of go back to seeing some of those guys make your skin crawl. I mean, totally. Um, I suppose for me, I just brush it all aside with the whole big thing. Like, uh, you know, they were coming out of this church state union thing that, you know, for a thousand years, at least there was no perception of another way to even do it. And, um, and so it's almost it affected their theology in that they they were just seeing it in through that lens, and uh, as Israel is, so we have been, and this is it, and it's just uh, you know you got to make things fit in that rubric, and um, and you know that would even affect like okay well is, is there grace before the fall well you know sure whatever whatever we need to make it mm-hmm. you know to make this work, um, and. You know, they, they don't really, uh, even just the way that, as you said, there was a monarch in place and, you know, and, and even just with the cause of the Reformation, there was an understandable pressure on them to um, to want to see the Reformation prosper. You'd need to, you'd need, you know, the the politics on your side for that to happen. So you don't want to go and remove yourself from society and become this extreme Anabaptist movement and then see everything just get squashed. I mean, there's, it must've at least been a bit of a subliminal pressure, even if they did feel that that was a good thing. Um, and so there's all that that was kind of unique for me. And I I suppose I just excuse it all, you know, under the, the times in that sense, you know, uh, and even just the Puritan experiment being just that an experiment, um, Mm. you know, we've had it now, it's not really an experiment now. So we don't have the same, you know, we can't be excused quite so, so easily. Um, but you know, now it's, 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 yeah, it's what drives it now is it's not the political thing to see the Reformation move on. It's not, um, you know, cause that, that's stupid. Uh, if anything, it's, it's moving in the opposite direction. So it's not that anyone wants to go back to Rome, you know, um, or maybe, I don't know, not, but not, not obviously anyway. And, um, yeah. So, like, what wh- what do you think is driving it? It's uh, is Norman Shepherd's. Here's one thought thought for you. Okay. Maybe it's just genuinely to to be as charitable as possible, an exegetical um, vexation on their part with regard to the Mosaic Covenant's place in redemptive history. So, in other words, they're they're looking at that and they're going, uh, you know what. Uh, it looked like God was doing something a certain way. Uh, we don't buy the whole um, subservience thing, so it's got to look somewhere. You, do you think it could have been driven by that? I think that is a major puzzle piece, to be sure. Yeah. Um, right. I, I, and especially in this recent conversation that I had, you know, the attitude was, look, God has given us really clear, explicit instructions why would we want to just set that aside? I mean, yes, 
He's okay. giving a blueprint for how life should go. Right, 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 right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's almost driven by that whole, let's see the scripture as a unified whole. There it is. Look, it's a big part of it. Are we seriously just going to put that aside? Yeah, totally. And then, as you said, one of the big driving forces, which I think is spot on. I mean, although I know people would come back at, at us for saying this, but, you know, there's a preference. There's a trading of, of the glory to come for this this yes. present age. It, it, not, you know, and I know they push back and they go, well, look, it's not like we're making that decision. It's just that we're seeing God wants us to move in that direction. But it's still, from our perspective, we're seeing that it, it well, you're kind of shooting for some values that will make your life easier. I mean, would that be fair? Uh, or, or not values, but um, uh, if you win, you get a quite a cruisy life <laughs> versus <laughs> versus if you lose, you know, you get a, a persecuted life. And in that sense, you know, they might be shooting for a, um, a fi- it's sort of a pushback to the culture that's obviously degenerating and going pluralistic and becoming difficult to live in as a Christian, mm-hmm. um, you know, uncomfortable to live in. That's actually one of the things I was thinking the other day. That might be, just again, reading this book, it does seem a lot of it's just an old-fashioned backlash, you know, just on yes. uh, like sort of like the Brady Bunch out of control, um, and, and found some. And the Brady Bunch meets um, Norman Shepard, is is I, you know, yeah. And yeah. I think I think you just touched on a, a really important point there with that word backlash. And I think for some reason that I. I can't really articulate in terms of the entire history of Reformed theology, but that really seems to be characteristic of Reformed theology. Like, mm. it's backlash is like built into it. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> yeah, I know. That is. Uh... And you don't see that in the other branches of the Reformation. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So where so, is. Um... Where is Lutheran? Uh, do you follow anything with Lutheranism at all? It feels like another planet to me, to be honest. I, <laughs> I don't even go there, you know? It is very different, uh, but I do listen to some Lutheran podcasts. Oh, yeah, which The is Virtue in the Wasteland. That and uh, Thinking Fellows. Um, Virtue in the Wasteland just announced in the most recent episode that I listened to that they're ending. This is The oh. episode I listened to is the second to last episode, so whatever. I think it may have come out today, the last episode. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, so, so the, the, I've checked out that, uh, was it, the 1517 website. <clears throat> mm-hmm. uh, looks like some pretty pretty good stuff there. Um, well, yeah, what are those guys all about? Where, who are they? Where are they? What's their deal? So I, I think that some of Rod Rosenblatt's former students um, decided, now that Rod's not on the White Horse Inn anymore, let's basically create—I mean— I don't mean this uncharitably, yeah. but let's create like a media empire. And that's <laughs> really what 1517 seems to be doing. I mean, it, yeah. it's now a podcast network with all these yeah. different podcasts. Yeah. And uh, according to what they're claiming about their their stats, they really are um, a juggernaut. I mean. Yeah. Amazing. So, yeah. Yeah. I've checked out a few of the lectures and, you know, it seems like. You know, just some of the stuff they have available there. Uh, very good. I want to check that out some more. It's just interesting as well to see that side of things. Um, yeah, but I can't remember where I was going with that. Oh, you were saying you, there was another podcast you were listening to, the not, not fifteen seventeen, another one. Well, so one of the fifteen seventeen podcasts is called the Thinking Fellows. And oh, yes, sorry. Yeah, Rod Rosenblatt does frequently appear on that podcast. Yes. Yeah, and I, I appreciate that guy a lot. Right. Totally. So the Lutherans reject uh, a covenant of works, covenant of grace structure, right? Is that right? 
they just go with law, gospel, and they don't like to see it in terms of a, a overarching covenant thing. Yeah, they can't they can't understand what we're talking about. Yeah, it's a weird experience. Every time I speak to a Lutheran, I just it just doesn't go well. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we, 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 it's this weird experience. It is. For me, it's totally weird. We're both kind of excited about exactly the same thing, except totally not. <laughs> but, um, yeah, like, yeah, I appreciate uh, Rosenblatt as well, of course. Yeah, he's just a, a great, um, yeah, very insightful and very helpful in so many ways. Yeah. yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I don't know if you want to edit this out later or not, but yeah. um, one of the Lutheran critiques that I'm... Uh, it's really uncomfortable to me, but I, I think it has bearing on what we're talking about in terms of theonomy uh-huh. is um, the role of reason in Reformed theology. Okay. And just how, from their perspective, it's in the driver's seat. Um, okay. They, and they're saying uh, the role of reason for, for us is in the driver's seat. Yeah. Right. That we let, we let reason dictate what doctrines are going to be Huh. And I I hear that loud and clear, especially wow. in the way you just described um, theonomic approaches to um, uh, pedo communion and you know other kinds of things. Well, right. if this is true over here, then we have to yeah um, you know we have to make it work over here as well. Yeah, yeah. And and that's that's a logical move not a biblical move right right yeah yeah forced consistency who who um, mm-hmm. i think it was uh francis schaefer who said uh forced consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds <laughs> 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 and yeah. so you know well there's that um yeah yeah well hey and they they were they're all about the mystery <laughs> <laughs> with uh, their consubstantiation, my goodness, they're very comfortable with uh, <laughs> with mystery. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you'd have to you'd have to be very very comfortable with mystery. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, good. Well, hey, hopefully that's um, you know, I mean, that's it's interesting. You can talk about it. All, it touches almost every facet of theology, doesn't it? It really does. It goes even into apologetics and philosophy, and there's just almost no end to it. But um, it is a it's a it's a building thing. I think it's 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 not going anywhere. It's 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 gathering momentum. It seems you know it's not like just some dying old idea, um, which at some point maybe it could have been if it if it hadn't sort of merged with new new covenant theology uh, at least new perspective theology and <laughs> and um, and federal vision and and I think accumulatively it's sort of representing a bit of an angst and. Um, and creating a big problem for a lot of people. And even just the way that it encroaches on big, you know, like Westminster East Seminary kind of deals, you know, um, where you have just a lot of guys. And and I think Covenant Seminary, you know, just deeply monocovenantal uh, from what I understand. And it's just, yeah, it's quite an interesting dynamic that's unfolding. It almost makes you feel like if it goes that way, I don't know if I want to be called reformed. You know, I, I just I'm um, pulling right out, and I, we, we we need to find another word. You know what I mean? And whether it's um, whether it's an accurate representation of history or not is almost irrelevant at that point because if they get the the ground on on reformed theology, then you, know, you just don't want to be associated with that at some level. So mm-hmm. yeah, um, but hey. Um, Good. Maybe we should call it that. I see. I just realized you masterfully avoided my question on um, oh. inf- infant baptism, though. That you should be. Well, let's not do have, that. Let's. Have you thought about politics, Chris? 
Um, but uh, no, what I was just saying is just how, how you factor. I'm seeing, you know, as part of my Baptist thing, I'm saying the holding on to a, um, a element of the Old Testament that works well with reconstructionism works well with the army obviously it's this old covenant sign in every sense you know it, it grows now I realize of course that we've got the abrahamic covenant to contend with and you've got to go prior to that but um you know just even the idea of an internal and an external covenant of grace and it just seems to to be part and parcel from my from my perspective of of that and maybe just again having gone through this recent book of mine um you see the strong drive to, to um, in order to defend pedo-baptism, uh, it's almost there's this look, there's this greater theology that, that necessitates it, and that theology is Reconstructionism. So, and that might not be true for everyone, but you, see, you can certainly see how they would use it, you know? Um, yes. You know, if we're Israel, then, dude, we've got to be doing what Israel is doing. End of story. Um, now you obviously don't take that that approach, um, but where, where, how do you feel about all that when you see that? I mean, what's what, what goes through your mind? For one thing, it does sound very familiar in terms of um, the early Reformation and um, the Reformation in England. Hmm. Um, just because uh, I, you're right, um, you've got a state church and um it's tied into citizenship and um so you know if you're going to be a citizen then you also need to be baptized into the the state church mm. um but i i think that that is um an unfortunate uh perversion thanks to someone like constantine mm-hmm. I, you're right i mean i i see um, the the roots of infant baptism predating the Mosaic Covenant back to the Abrahamic Covenant. Right, um, that that's the real lynch, isn't it? Right there. I mean, that's they aren't doing that. They're not making a big deal of that reality that the 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 uh, infant baptism it, thing predates the Mosaic. Uh, the and again, probably yeah. because to them, all covenants are really at the end of the day the same. Right. Right. Totally. Yes, that would affect it, wouldn't it? That they're, mm-hmm. they're just basically using one paradigm uh to to work all of those covenants one single overarching mono covenant (laughs) yeah yeah that's it yeah it's interesting i mean like do you do you ever have moments where you think uh maybe i need to relook at the 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 infant baptism in that light or has it just left you very settled what is the most i I know we're kind of turning this into a maybe we should leave this for another one but just maybe just to round this off i mean are you what are the big things for you that hold you there yeah because i think that um family is not something that was unique to um, Israel Hmm. Um, and God continues to work in families, at least as, as I read the Bible Mm -hmm. um, that that family authority principle is still at work in the new covenant so Mm -hmm. that um, the people who are under the authority of um, heads of households, um, if that head of the household belongs to Jesus, then the people who are under that, um, head of households authority also belong to Jesus by extension. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's good. It's good for me to, I, I know some people who are listening to this are wrestling through, um, infant baptism, you mm. know, now and, and, um, 
it's just uh, for me, I love to hear from clients on the subject. You know what I mean? Because mm. because it keeps it from getting weird. And um, and so it's always good to hear just how clients have wrestled with it because they haven't taken. Oh, just dropped my pen. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I just, um, you know, they haven't taken the weird angle that leads to reconstructionism and popery and all that that everyone is worried about on the Baptist side. So it provides this uh, this important nuance. And um, it's just, I think it just needs to be talked about more, you know. And mm. um, so maybe we need to come back to that at some point. But this is turning into a, an ultra mega show. <laughs> so, so let's call it a day. Um, and thanks for joining us on this one, bro. Thanks for having me.